0: Hello and welcome to the Future of Australia podcast. Here I interview the entrepreneurs running the fastest growing businesses in Australia. These interviews will be around the themes of entrepreneurship, new ideas, business, innovation, capitalism and successful enterprise being the motor that will drive Australia forward. I will be telling the stories of the people who are making it possible and as they grow and strive further will become a bigger and bigger part of Australia's future. My name is Derek Stewart, your host and the founder of Future of Australia. Check us out at futureofaustralia.com to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter, get exclusive content and ensure you never miss an episode. For questions or comments, email me at Derek, D-E-R-E-K, at futureofaustralia.com or you can call or text me on 0404-689-897 welcome to episode 24 of the future of australia podcast in this episode i interview luke sadler the director and co-founder of sgs logistics a contract logistics and transportation company we discuss how they grew 43 percent last financial year to to do over 10.2 million in annual revenue and become one of the fastest growing new businesses in australia how he went from studying a degree that he did not even remember choosing to dropping out and traveling the world. Doing everything from selling photos at ski resorts in Canada to IT support at JP Morgan in London. How he stumbled into the logistics and transportation industry, yet after a decade, why his frustration and desire for change prompted him and a colleague to start their own business and implement the changes they wanted to see. If you're looking for contract logistics services with a focus on driver quality, check out sgslogistics.com.au. That's s-g-s-l-o-g-i-s-t-i-c-s.com.au. So I'm here with Luke Sadler, the Director of SGS Logistics. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Luke.
1: Thanks for having me, Derek.
0: You're welcome. So can you describe to us what were you doing before you started SGS Logistics? What did you study? What type of organisations or roles were you working in?
1: Sure. So my background, I've worked for a couple of different transport and logistics companies. Prior to starting SGS, I was at King's Transport for nearly 10 years. Uh, I was running their WA division when I left King's. Uh, so I spent a few years in Perth, but I started with King's in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Uh, and prior to that, uh, I was in sales uh, for so I started my transport and logistics career in sales for a company called Gregory's which is one of the many transport companies that unfortunately no longer exists Mm -hmm. Um, but that was my foray into transport and logistics I stumbled into the industry I'd spent three and a half years uh, in North America and the UK and on my return to Australia I was at a 30th birthday party and and met the managing director of Gregory's there and he asked if I had a job and I said I didn't (laughs) and he asked if I'd be interested in talking to his sales manager and um, I ended up in transport. So uh, like probably a lot of people in, in this industry, uh, once you're in, it's one of those industries that you, most people kind of never leave. Uh, or if they do, they end up coming back to it. <laughs> uh, and fast forward, um, I suppose, uh, yeah, 13 odd years uh, and i realized realised uh, probably what some people might have considered an expert in the industry by that point. Um, And, uh, uh, yeah, and then decided to uh, break out on my own um, with another guy, David Gay, that I worked with at King's. Um, And as far as study, I I studied IT Mm -hmm. at uni. I did a business systems uh, degree, which I actually didn't finish. Um, And, uh, you know, probably not necessarily uh, something that would have held me in good stead transport and logistics. (laughs) Uh, But my study, so my study was very much on the job.
0: Mm. And, and so you mentioned you're in North America, was it, in the UK? Was that sort of backpacking, travelling, working abroad? What took you over there?
1: Yeah, I got invited to a wedding in, in Canada and decided to do a ski season there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was seeing a girl at the time who was from Memphis. Mm-hmm. So I spent a fair bit of time uh, down there. She ended up moving to Seattle, so, which was close to Canada. So I was sort of between Canada and, um, and the States for about 18 months and mm-hmm. just doing temp work. I worked at the uh, selling photographs that were taken on the mountain at Whistler Blackcomb in, in Canada.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, then I just did some temp work. And then in London, I um, lied actually, and uh, told people in the UK that I actually had finished, completed my IT degree <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, and worked in IT uh, over there uh, for a couple of years before coming home and didn't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't enjoy the course and I didn't enjoy the, the work that I was doing uh, and so I decided to come home and do something different and I didn't know what that different thing was going to be until I met that managing director of Gregory's and, and fell into transport and logistics.
0: Yeah, no, quite quite the uh, the journey. And, and what do you think it is that uh, MD uh, saw in you? You know, you're at a party, making small talk to sort of offer you a job on the spot. Was there something you think he saw in you or you may, some reason you made that impression on him?
1: Uh, as as may be discovered through this podcast i have a tendency to talk quite a bit and uh, i so i would imagine that he possibly saw me um as somebody that would uh, do okay in sales uh and wouldn't have too much of an issue building relationships and that sort of thing um and i had had a sales job prior to going uh going overseas um i'd worked for a I sold pallet wrap and pallet wrapping machines. Mm-hmm. So I'd had some experience in sales. So I think possibly that, coupled with a little bit of experience years overseas, he probably just saw a, a young guy who was um, up for giving something a crack um, who had you know those sort of gaffy type experiences behind him, so I probably wasn't going anywhere and and was probably ready to settle down and um, have a real go at a career.
0: And did you have any um, reluctance about joining or, again, you're out of work and you're just sort of looking for uh, something to grab onto and it seemed as good as anything else?
1: Yeah, I, look, I, I did. Uh, when I was in London, I, I really, even though I didn't enjoy the work that I was doing, I really enjoyed the, the sort of city going in, you know, catching public transport mm-hmm. in, into the uh, CBD type of area and the drinks after work and the whole social side of it mm-hmm. um, and the opportunity being ambitious. You know, to work for one of the some of these large organisations, like I I worked for eighteen months for JP Morgan, Mm -hmm. uh, and if I had been interested in in staying on for a long time, there was opportunity for career growth and so on in a big organisation like that. Uh, And so when I came back to Australia, I probably had ideas about yeah, some sort of city office job. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know what that job was going to be or who it was going to be for. Uh, And so to then be asked. to to go for an interview with a company like Gregory's who were, you know, maybe a a more blue-collar industry, Mm. uh, I suppose, Um, and, uh, you know, in in a suburban area where the office would be. It was totally different to what I was thinking, but I thought, well, I'm I'm not doing anything else. I might Mm. as well go in for a chat. Uh, And the guy that employed me at Gregory's is the same guy that ended up taking me to King's. And, yeah, thank goodness I did go in and have Mm. that chat because I wouldn't be where I am today without doing it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so you mentioned you studied IT at uni and then it wasn't really what you liked, weren't enjoying it, you dropped out. So, so how did you get into studying IT? Was it just a hobby as a kid? You were building your own computers? Was it just it sounded good or, or how did you decide to, to study IT originally?
1: Yeah, this is probably going to give away um, my loose teenage early 20 <laughs> years, um, but uh, I actually, when I got accepted into that course, didn't know what it was. And my mate said, Business mm. systems, what's that? I wanted to do marketing and management mm. and uh, didn't really apply myself well enough uh, in year 12 to get a good enough mark to get into those courses. Um, and when my mate said, What's business systems? I thought, oh, i got no idea. I can't remember putting it down. <laughs> <laughs> and,
2: then,
1: and it ended up being this IT course. Uh, I thought, Oh, well, I'm, I'm in it now. I might mm. as well uh, uh, go and do that. And, um, you know, and I, Applied myself even less than, than what I did uh, at school and was renowned for sitting at the back of lecture theaters uh, reading um, street press you know music music street mm. press uh, rather than listening to the lectures and my results probably showed uh, that that's what i was doing um, but but uh, I suppose what I did learn uh, well I met some great people mm. and, um, and and some really really intelligent people in that course who have gone on to um, to do some pretty cool stuff and um, and I was probably driven by their, well, I mean, they were much more motivated from a younger age than, than what I was mm-hmm. um, and yet I wanted to have the success that, that, that they had. You know, they, they seemed to, I mean, they had a lot more money earlier mm-hmm. and they enjoyed what they were doing. Um, they therefore were enjoying their lives inside and, and outside of work
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and so I probably envied the position that they were in and, and that, I guess, was a motivator to try and find something that I was going to enjoy myself like they had been able to. Mm.
0: Yeah, and then so you zigzagged around a bit geographically doing different odd jobs, different obviously corporate jobs and you're in the sort of the trucking space and then you've moved companies. And then um, what made you want to start your own business after working for you know big and small companies, white collar, blue collar? Um, was there a defining moment where you sort of decided and then what was the first 12 months of that uh, journey like?
1: Yeah, um, there, yeah, there, there was, uh, uh, but I, I think it, it evolved over a period of time. Dave, my business partner, and myself got along really well at King's and, and had a lot of conversations over the journey about how we thought things should be done. Uh, mm-hmm. We were really well taught at King's. We learned a lot, um, well drilled uh, and given opportunities, and we'll both always be grateful for the opportunities that, that Kings provided for us um, and got us to the position where we were able to, to start SGS and, and do it ourselves. Um, but we we got to a point where we probably just started having some different ideas about how business should be done. And I mean, Kings has been a very very successful business, and um, you know we take nothing away from, from mm. that success. Uh, but there was you know a few a few things that, that Dave and I thought could be improved or, or different ways that we wanted to go about things. Uh, and uh, some of some of which were taken on board, and we were able to have some influence on, and, uh, and implement, and others that weren't. And so we've probably both got to a point where the things that um, the powers that be at Kings disagreed with, we we're probably becoming um, not not arrogant or or pig-headed but I suppose confident enough in our own ability that we felt we were right. And, and so of course, when you're in that position. Uh, you can tend to have a bit of a whinge about other mm. people uh, not necessarily seeing things the same way. And, and that might have had more to do with our ability to convince them um, mm. than it did the idea itself. But Dave and I both, um, in having these conversations and seeing things so similarly, came to a point where we said, well, either we keep complaining about these things that we can't get done um, or we do something about it. And mm. we decided on the latter and, and that was the defining moment once we both made that decision together.
0: And so was there a particular thing? Was it, was it sort of the like pricing, the business model, how the customers were handled, how the drivers were handled? Was there a particular project, initiative that you really wanted to improve or change that was getting a lot of resistance from the management at the time?
1: Yeah, there, there was. And I, and I should preface by saying too that, um, I mean, this is, this is now, you know, we're now approaching several years ago that this was the case mm. and, and I, can't, I can't speak for what Kings as a business is, is doing now. Mm. Um, I, I can only speak for what it was like then, and we're we're of the view Kings, uh, the majority of the of the Kings drivers are, are owner drivers. drivers. So contact mm-hmm. the drivers, um, and uh, um, I mean they've got company. company or certainly, it was then anyway. I can't speak for now, but um, in, in the industry in general, this this is not unique to Kings, but we know that this was. Quite prevalent right across the industry. uh, We felt that the subcontractor drivers were quite poorly paid
2: uh, Mm. because,
1: with the exception of New South Wales, who've got contract determination legislation in place that prevents drivers from being underpaid, Mm -hmm. everywhere else the driver can. I mean, if you could uh, get a driver to agree to being paid a dollar an hour Mm
2: -hmm. um,
1: uh, in Victoria, Mm. uh, that that was allowed. Um, mm. I mean, a couple of the other states have got some different legislation. I mean, in Western Australia, for example, they talk about you've got to pay a safe and sustainable rate, but, mm-hmm. but that rate is not legislated. Um, mm. So, um, it's, I mean, it's subjective what, what that rate is.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: and, and so what we saw uh, as a consequence, uh, um, and, and it's, 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 not, it's not the fault of these transport companies that we believe uh, many of them are underpaying some of these drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the it's the pressure that's placed on them to do that
2: mm. that the
1: only way that they can compete for this business uh, is by paying these guys what essentially doesn't amount to be enough um, it's, it's not a good it's not a good living that they're earning mm. uh, getting getting this low rate of pay uh, and so there'd be instances where drivers wouldn't be able to come to work for example um, they'd ring in and say because they can't afford put pe- to put the petrol in their vehicle mm. Uh, and that just seemed crazy for us, mm. um, and it felt like that there was something that could very easily be done. Now, what's not easy is to go to the owner of a business and tell him that maybe he needs to take ten percent out of his uh, out of his profits and give it <laughs> to the drivers, mm. uh, because essentially that's what we were asking. Uh, you know, mm. and I'm that's not an exact figure there, but just um, for, the, for the purpose of this discussion, uh, we we're asking him to to say, look, just just take a big whack out of your bottom mm. line and give it to the drivers. Um, but the long-term idea, our view was that you could actually reduce your your gross profit and increase your net profit. Um, that by giving the drivers a bigger slice of the pie in the long run, not tomorrow, mm. not today, when you implement this, but in the long run, you'll have better drivers, you'll have happier drivers, they'll be more productive, uh, they'll do a better job, which will make your client happier. Mm. Um, it makes it easier to deliver on the things that you promised when you pitched for that business. Uh, because at the end of the day, if you've got unhappy drivers um, or drivers that uh, you know are not are not up to scratch because you're not paying well enough to get good a, a good quality, uh, well then you're more likely to have things like products being damaged,
2: mm. uh,
1: drivers not dealing with your customers customers well enough.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you know, there's the flow on effect of, of that poor quality, which at the, you know, approaching the end of a contract period could lead to you losing that contract, mm. um, and, and where instead we felt it's not about going to market and quoting higher, uh, but give the driver a bigger slice of the pie, which allows you to get a better quality driver on board. Uh, so therefore, those things like product damage and driver turnover, because mm-hmm. if they can get fifty. Now somewhere else they're going to leave but if mm. you're paying them a little bit more than they're getting anywhere else they're not going anywhere else for a higher rate of pay they're staying with you mm. um and that in the long term you say well then when you get to the end of that contract period and your customer is racks with the work that you're doing because you've got this high quality driver that's doing the work for you um well then you uh, you're, you're, you spend less time trying to replace the work that you're losing and more time growing which Mm. uh, essentially, inevitably, will lead to a higher net profit result Mm. longer term.
0: Yeah, so you were seeing this again, race to the bottom, obviously squeezing down the owner drivers and a false economy, like you said, in one way, people feel like they're saving because they're paying the drivers less, but those costs are really just being shifted to marketing, to sales, to recruitment. To, to churn customer service. So I guess the costs are being just put in another part of the business and your proposition was, hey, if we put these costs into the driver's pay packet, then we're going to save costs across customer service, marketing, sales, you know, other sort of p- recruitment, other parts of the business, and the drivers are happier, the customers are happier, and that's a more sustainable win-win versus you know, maybe customer service is upset or uh, sales are upset because they're constantly churning clients and then the drivers are upset, so sort of taking a lose-lose and trying to make that into a win-win. Is that right?
1: If you ever want to get into transport and logistics, Derek, we've got a job for you because you (laughs) did a far better job articulating all of that than, than I did, but that is absolutely spot on.
0: Excellent, excellent. Um, and so, what was that first twelve months like? Obviously, again, you're pitching the management. You're saying, "Hey, you know what I've just described. That this is what we should do. It's a big change. Obviously, most industries, a lot of people copy each other. So, trying to break the mold of an industry is always hard, and kind of be an outlier. Um, but then you've you've carved your own business out with your partner, and you've got the freedom to succeed or fail on your own. What was that um, that initial twelve months like? You know, testing your theory with your own money, your own um, you know, sort of shirt on, on your back at risk versus just com- trying to convince a boss to use their money to uh, to fund your sort of proposition.
1: It, it was a really interesting first twelve months because I, I think both Dave and I had a very different experience to the one that we were expecting, uh, and that any any reading that you do on people starting a business, uh, the sort of experiences that you read about, um, and the reason why it was different for us was because. I mean, a lot of people say to you, oh, it was a very courageous thing for you to do to uh, start your own business and um, you know and lay it all on the line to do that." And and neither of us really felt that. And mm. I think I think courage is doing something even though you're fearful of it. Uh, mm-hmm. And so because we didn't have that fear, I, I, I don't think that it was courageous. Um, and I and so I, I uh, reflected on why that might have been the case, why we didn't feel that fear. Uh, and, and I think it was because uh, probably throughout both, uh, Dave was at King's for about 10 years as well. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think our, our grounding was so good in that business and we were given so many opportunities and probably a couple of those opportunities were given to us possibly before we were even ready for them. But that was, the, I mean, that was one of the great successes of King's that, that they did really invest in their people like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, and so I, I think the, the nerves that either of us might have felt or the fear, we probably got that out of our system by being given a couple of roles that we weren't quite, quite ready for. Um, and we had that fear then, um, that fear of failure. And mm. um, and because we would got through that and succeeded, I think by the time that we came around for starting our own business, we, we felt like that we'd ticked all of those boxes and we knew exactly what to do. Uh, and so we were neither of us were really that nervous, maybe naively, mm-hmm. um, possibly naively, uh, um, And so far, fortunately, it hasn't turned out to be naively, but uh, history may still prove this wrong.
2: Um,
1: But, uh, yeah, I I think we'd done all the hard yakka. um, Yeah, we knew exactly what to do. Um, We were really really well prepared. Uh, We obviously had restrictions uh, because of the the type of business that we were starting. Mm. Um, We were were in a niche part of the industry or we selected a particular niche, which is contract logistics. Um, where all of our um, drivers are permanently placed at our customers, mm-hmm. and so that's all—they only work for, for that particular customer. Mm. Um, I mean, they can they can sort of switch around between customers, but not day by day. Mm. Uh, you might have a driver that is not necessarily suited for whatever reason but at one mm-hmm. customer, but he is to another, and so you might, you know, and vice versa, you might swap them around. But essentially, all of those drivers know where they're starting every single day. There's there's, mm. there's no real ad hoc component to it. Um, and uh, and and King's where we worked that was a big part of what they did as well. So we were going to be in competition with them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so probably the most interesting thing was I think everybody possibly expected that we were going to be going after King's customers, which wasn't our our plan at all. And there mm. was restrictions that prevented mm. us from doing it anyway, uh, contractual obligations, you know, employment agreement and so on. Um, but probably one of the, uh, the other really interesting things um, that we found was uh, the networks that, that we built over the journey. Uh, we both had backgrounds in sales. Uh, and so for me, even going back to the Gregory's days and all the way through, uh, you forget h- how many people that you come into contact with.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: and, um, and a great number of whom are really keen to help you, really mm. um, more so than I expected was so supportive because you reach out to these people to say, hey, this is what I'm doing. And, um, and some of the, well, most of them really was more about reaching out to them to get some advice and a bit of mentoring mm. and um, some people at high levels in, in other businesses rather than we want your work. Mm. Um, but, but as it turned out, some of them gave us their, their work anyway um, as part of that process. And uh, we, we needed people to take a leap of faith because even though the idea about the driver quality thing the driver quality piece that I outlined earlier, mm-hmm. uh, we hadn't market tested that. Uh, so mm. that was all in theory <laughs> that we pay these guys more. And mm. um, uh, but, and, and also, you know, where, where we'd worked previously, we've got this big business behind us and now. It's mm. just Dave, Dave and I. Mm. Uh, and so we didn't know if people were going to take that leap of faith, which is essentially what we needed them to do. And they did, and and it was because of the relationships that we'd we'd built over the journey. And so, the growth came much more easily than we anticipated. Um, Yeah, it was. We've been really, really fortunate. We we haven't really had one of those "oh shit" moments (laughs) where we think, uh, "Oh, what are we doing? Why Mm. did we do this?" Mm. Oh of just starting all of a sudden realising so, so, so. the enormity of this that if we're not a success, what the consequences of that are. Um, because we've we've just grown so much quicker than we could have ever thought.
0: Mm. Yeah, and speaking of growth, so your company grew 43% last financial year, doing over $10 million in annual revenue and making you one of the fastest-growing new businesses in Australia. So, like I said, you started with momentum. Um, you, you did better and grew quicker than you thought. But then in the in the last year or two, as you've continued to really grow quickly, has there been anything differently that you've done operationally, sales-wise, strategy-wise that's driven that ongoing growth?
1: No, no it's been very consistent. I will... Um, it's has, but look, it's, the approach has been really consistent, but um, we've brought some really good staff on. Uh, and, and again, I have to, I have to thank Kings cause, uh, um, cause, because two of our biggest recruitments were, were people that we did formerly work with at, <laughs> uh, at Kings. Um, so our New South Wales operations manager and our Victorian operations manager have been outstanding. So bringing them into the business has helped us grow that's provided mm-hmm. some, some scalability because initially Dave and I were, were doing absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's been a big part of it. But, but the other part of it was the leap of faith that people were taking, um, in most instances, they would say, look, we're going to let you have a driver and mm-hmm. we want to see, this, we want to see you prove this quality that you're talking about. Mm. Uh, and fortunately, in each of those instances, without exception, we were able to demonstrate that. Uh, And so we've got customers that uh, initially only gave us one vehicle, um, you know, and then we've now got 20 to 30 vehicles in with those customers. Um, And so, so whilst um, the initial growth uh, over the first two to three years was new business, um, that this last year that you're talking about, uh, that's got us into the top 20 of of, um, the fast starters list in the Mm -hmm. in review, that's come about as a result of all of those new customers now saying, yeah, we trust, we now trust these guys. We, we know that what they say is how it is. Um, and so we're now happy to give them the, the rest of our work.
0: Mm. And so was that a strategy on your part, saying, hey, give us one truck, let us show you what we can do, or was that the customer saying, look, we're not going to make a big change, how about we give you one truck, or was it sort of mutual, or how did that, I guess it's a pilot, essentially, like you talk about in business, doing a little pilot sort of project, and then proving it, and then sort of land and expand after that?
1: Yeah, I think it, was, it certainly wasn't our initial strategy, but it was a suggestion by one of our first customers that perhaps um, that's how we start. Um, and, uh, and when that worked out, uh, it, it seemed, it was a, it was a good proof point that we could then take to other people and, and say, look, if you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, totally understand, um, you know, this other customer, that's, that's what they were like, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and I mean, this is where they've gone to, mm-hmm. but if you, if you want to just see for yourself, how about we just start with one, um, mm-hmm. no damage done, uh, and so, it became a good strategy.
0: Okay, no, excellent. And, and so as you're growing, as you said, you, you brought on good people, you've expanded, you got a bit of momentum, you, you're growing your existing clients, you're getting a bit of a repeatable strategy. What were some of the hard parts during that growth? Obviously, there's the success and sort of momentum of, of growth but there's also the the challenges, the frustrations, um, the unknown and, and what were some of the, the scary times during that growth?
1: Yeah, it, um, it's I mean, the scariest time we've had really is, has been this uh, COVID nineteen mm-hmm. situation uh, and and the great unknowns that that come with that. Um, but in the lead up to to, to this, uh, I mean, this really has probably been the first time that we've been challenged in the business. Really, I mean, there's of course um, there's always bumps in the road, but there've been really minor bumps, mm.
2: um,
1: and, uh, um, and and there hasn't been a bump really that that's made us think um, we could be in trouble here, or you know this this really puts the business at risk um, uh, yeah we've we've been really really fortunate and uh, and we've been we've been taught to be pessimistic and and i'll I'll explain that um, because pessimism's not always a healthy thing to be and, <laughs> and certainly if you as you know to be an entrepreneur you've got to be really optimistic in, in mm. the sense that you've got to back yourself to, to be successful but Um, but pessimistic in the sense that you've got to expect things to go wrong. uh, And that's where your contingency planning comes in. Um, because if you're blindly optimistic, uh, then you don't have contingencies in place because you're expecting that nothing's going to go wrong. (laughs) Um, so you need to, you need to have, uh, your optimism needs to be cautious. Um, Mm -hmm. it needs to be mixed with a healthy dose of pessimism Mm -hmm. because things will go wrong. Um, and one of those things, I mean, we've, um, we've kept a lot of money in the business uh, mm-hmm. because as a new business, we felt if we had a, you know, a, a large bad debt or two, mm. um, that can be enough to sink businesses. And mm. we, we didn't want that to happen to us. Uh, and so, you know, we've, we've put money, we've kept money in the business for that rainy day. Now that rainy day is here with mm. COVID-19. It's not a bad debt. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't turn into uh, into bad debts. We seem, mm. really, seem to be really fortunate with the client base that we have, mm. uh, that they're not the sort of customers that it, um you know that, that where this could cause them to have to have bad debts mm-hmm. um but we but we did have uh, some periods where um we we thought that maybe there was going to be a significant drop in revenue um now that seems to sort of have rebounded quite quickly fortunately and um mm-hmm. and we're confident that's going to continue to be the case um because as i said we're very fortunate with our, with our customer makeup but um, but also we're, we haven't been in a position where we've had to ask like a lot of other businesses for our staff to take pay cuts or we've mm-hmm. had to consider getting rid of staff or anything like that because um, yeah we had this great contingency planning plan in place that's enabled us to uh, weather the storm um, without having to, to take any of those uh, really tough decisions um, and I won't say that we've come out the other side because until there's a a cure, a treatment, a vaccine, mm. um, nobody can say that they're out the other side. Mm. However, it feels like um, we've endured the worst of it and, um, and we seem to be getting uh, back much closer to parity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like, again, that sort of simple but often missed sort of, I guess, hope for the best, plan for the worst strategy has obviously worked well. Um, and the other aspect, obviously, so, so you had a bit of an unconventional message to the clients, obviously, about you know paying the drivers more. And it, it's a two-sided marketplace. And what about the drivers? Were some reluctant to perhaps go on with you because you're a lesser proven name? They're worried about your stability? Or was the message, Absolutely. of we'll treat you better and pay you more, was sort of um, enough to win over a lot of early, early owner drivers?
1: No, look, it wasn't. Um, understandably, they were... Very, very sceptical for the most part. The drivers, mm. uh, they had heard it all before.
2: Mm. Um, <laughs> they'd,
1: you know, they'd, they'd worked for a number of different companies that have promised um, the world and delivered an atlas. Mm. Uh, and so, understandably, they were they were sceptical. And and we understood that and and said, look, the, the proof's in the pudding. You're not going to know unless unless you come and work for us. And um, if you're not willing to take that leap of faith, you know, we understand, uh, and we would have understood if customers weren't willing to take that leap mm. of faith. So we needed the drivers to take a leap of faith too. And similar to the customers, once a few of them did, we then had the proof points. Mm.
2: Um,
1: and uh, you know, we, we we go to market now, and when customers ask for a reference, we say here's every single one of our you know, potential customers ask mm. for a reference. We say here's every one of every single one of our customers. Bring mm their contact details. Ring whichever one you mm. like. Mm. We're not hand-picking um, the ones that like us the best.
2: Mm-hmm. We're giving
1: you all of them and speak to all of them and, and ask them how, how they've found us. And we do the same thing with drivers. Mm. Uh, you know, we, we, we say to all of the drivers, are you happy for us to pass on your contact details to any new driver
2: mm. if
1: they would like to be told um, how, how you treat it? Uh, and all the drivers are happy for that to be the case. Um, and So we do the same thing with drivers these days um And say, look, here's all, here's every single one of our mm-hmm. drivers. Call whichever one you like, and and ask them uh how we treat them.
2: Mm.
1: Um, but we we have to do that less and less these days because most of our drivers these days come through uh, referrals from mm. the existing driver fleet. Uh, mm-hmm. And another thing that I that I didn't mention too, mm-hmm. um I mean, the pay is, the pay the pay is important. People mm-hmm. being paid properly is important, um, but being treated well is important too, and mm-hmm. um, uh, and and drivers in our industry uh, are the most important, um, you know, cog in the wheel, mm. and and they're regularly not treated that way, um, and and not even ne- just necessarily by transport companies. But uh, I mean, I've gone out and done ride-alongs um, with drivers, and they haven't known, you know, I wear my high vis and all of that, and they haven't known that um, I'm an owner of a business mm. or or anything like that, or know anything about my background. Mm. Some of the people they're delivering to. The, the way that they speak to these guys mm. uh, is horrible. Uh, and mm. and um, I'm not saying that that's, you know, in the majority of instances mm. or, or anything like that. The only, you only need, you only need for that to happen, you know, once a day or once a week mm. or, or whatever. And uh, you don't feel very good about yourself. Mm. Uh, and so, another big part of what we've wanted to do for drivers is treat them with the level of importance that they are to your business and they're mm. incredibly important. Mm. Uh, and, and, the, and you can do that in pretty simple ways. Um, I mean, one of the ways that we do it, like, I mean, each Christmas, for example, um, we give the drivers a hamper, which may not mm-hmm. seem like much on the surface. Um, but unfortunately, um, each year, for, the, for the, the newer drivers, I mean, the guys that have been with us a few years now, um, now have come to expect it. but the, the newer drivers, every year we get phone calls from guys in tears saying that they've just they've never had anyone mm. do that for them in all their years as a driver. Um, mm. And uh, and as much as um, your ego can allow you to make you feel good about that, and say, oh, how how good are we for um, having that impact? The reality is that's really sad that something so simple has such a large impact because it means that they're not being treated the way that mm. they should be out there. Yeah, um, yeah. And the other thing that we found in the industry, not uncommon for guys, you know, to make a mistake because they're not getting paid the same every single week. Mm. It could be they might be getting paid you know, by hour, by the mm. hour, or by the carton, or by the pallet, mm. or whatever the case may be. And so their pay is variable, which means there can be mistakes. Mm. Um, and we know across the industry, uh, just down to not resourcing particular areas enough, some of these guys can wait six, eight weeks for their pay mm. to be rectified. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's, you're not treating them with the level of importance that they deserve to be treated. I mean, that's their livelihood. If you've messed up their pay, you need to fix it today, now, mm. the day that they raise it. Mm. Um, and again, so we, we, we do all of that stuff and we want to make sure we continue to do that and we resource the right areas so that that is always how we treat our drivers. Um, but another vision of ours, and uh, you know, we've, we've got to be much, much bigger for, for this to be the case, but we want to grow to a size that we can actually influence the rest of the industry. So all drivers get treated like this, mm. uh, and and we're not an anomaly and we're not an exception. And, and I'm not suggesting that um, the way that we treat our drivers that SGS Logistics are the only people that look after their drivers. Mm. So that's certainly not the case. Mm. What I am saying is there are far too many businesses that don't pay their drivers well enough mm-hmm. um, and don't treat them with the respect that they deserve to be treated. Um, uh, you know, and don't. Um, Respect the fact that if their pay is wrong, it needs to be fixed immediately. And all those things uh, along those lines. There's way too many transport companies, unfortunately, out there doing that. And Mm -hmm. we want to change that.
0: Yeah, and actually... leads nicely into the next question which was ha- have you started to see a bit of a change in the industry Imagine again, some of your competitors that they, they have 30 trucks with the client and then they lose one and it goes to you and then they lose two and then three and then eventually they've lost all 30 does that cause some self-reflection some awareness or again drivers are coming to you they're, they're recruiting their friends um have you seen i guess in the industry or um, anecdotally, heard about other companies reevaluating, you know, how they treat the drivers, how they pay them, how they, um, I guess, run and pitch their businesses. Or at the moment, do you still feel like you're sort of out on the, the, uh, the far end by yourself, and the rest of the industry is really still racing to the bottom?
1: Yeah. Look, we're not. We're certainly not an outlier. Um, there are other companies that already were treating their drivers well. Um, uh, and and we're we're trying to have conversations with with those businesses um, so that we can sort of join forces to have more of an impact on on the rest of the industry. Although um, some businesses, they, that's their point of difference. As it is ours mm. um, at the moment, that's, that's one of our big points of difference. Um, and they don't want to lose that, so mm. <laughs> they're not necessarily on board with trying trying to change the industry because they're doing well out of it. Um, mm. But um, but. It's our motivation is not for it to be a point of difference. Our motivation is to lift, lift the rest of the industry up. Mm. Um, and there's no way that we've had any impact on that at all. We're, we're still far too small. Um, I mean, hopefully, uh, you know, if, if something like, you know, a podcast that you're doing, Derek, <laughs> or, uh, you know, there's a little bit of um, industry press um, that we've been getting uh hopefully that's having some impact or causing some people to think, but mm. uh, you know we we may need to be probably you know three, four, five times, ten times the size mm. that we are before people really do sit up and take notice and um, and we intend to we intend for that to be the case.
0: Yeah, and I imagine for a lot um both the client side, the people running these businesses, the drivers, again, if they don't have an awareness that there's a, a, a different option out there. It's sort of, they think, oh, well, all companies are the same, all employers are the same, all providers are the same and and they don't even look, perhaps, because they don't realize there's an alternative, right? Because, like you said, I've worked for a few companies, they're all the same, they say, oh, this is just how it is, it is what it is, Um, again, from the client side, the driver side, but once they hear, and like I said, you get that critical mass, hearing that, no, there is another way, things are moving. And, you know, they're being left behind, sort of not, they're just, you know, in an equivalent place. That's, I guess, when you really get a, a groundswell movement.
1: That That's right. And uh, one of the things I do know from speaking to contacts I have in, in other transport and logistics operations is there's, I mean, it's, it's through, through this uh, COVID-19 crisis, um, very different, but uh, but over the last 12 months, had a number of people say, "Gee, it's hard to get drivers, isn't it?" And I say, "We're not having any problems at all. Mm. Like we <laughs> we find it really, really easy to get drivers." Well, what's the key to your success? And I say, I- "I've told you before,
2: <laughs>
1: pay them, pro- pay them properly, and treat them well. It's mm. as simple as that."
2: Mm. Uh,
1: and and once you develop that reputation, the drivers will come because they all talk. Mm. They all talk amongst themselves, uh, mm. and they all t- they all. They tell you who the bad companies are and they tell you who the good companies mm. are. Uh, and we know when they come to interviews with us um, that they give us that feedback. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think eventually, and as I said, it's our, it's our aim for this to be the case. Eventually, we think that probably will hit home.
0: Mm, absolutely. And, and so zooming out a little bit um, more broadly, um, what sort of trends do you see in entrepreneurship and fast growth companies in Australia in general? What, what do you think a lot of Australian entrepreneurs and sort of scale up businesses are doing well, and then where are they maybe um, letting themselves down?
1: I'm pretty insular in, within my my own industry. Um, although I, I am interested in um, what goes on outside the industry, but you you tend to you, tend, you can be a little bit tunnel visioned um, uh, in, in our in our game. Um, but look, I, I think in Australia, uh, I think that we're approaching a point in time. Where we're at a point in time where we, re- where Australians really back themselves on the world stage.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and you know, there's been, you know, companies like you know, there's been, been some really smart tech people. Um, you know, like the the, the guys at um, atlassian, mm-hmm. for example, have done it done incredibly well. Um, or you've got Mr uh, Mr. Kogan.
0: Uh
1: you know, he's he's sort of um I suppose the um you know the the Australian smaller version uh maybe of um uh of our, of our uh, good mate at um Amazon.
2: Yeah, of Jeff, Jeff Bezos. Bezos.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um and uh you know or, or the you know the guys that set up Afterpay for example. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's some really good examples of, of people coming through. There used to be probably a little bit of a cultural cringe about Australia once upon a time, um, mm-hmm. you know, if you go back to say the 70s and 80s. Um, but I think there's so many Australians dominating on the world stage these days and not not necessarily just in business but whether mm. it be sport or entertainment, you know, music, cinema. Um, mm. uh, and, and so I, I think we're at, a, we're at a point where Australians are, are quite confident Mm-hmm. We're quite confident in our abilities. We we think that we can deliver on the world stage, and and if you relate that back to being an entrepreneur, um, I think that that's a that's a great motivator. Um, mm. And so, as I said, we're already seeing it with some of those successful businesses that have started in the last five to ten years, and and I think we're going to see a whole lot more over the next ten to twenty, um, and and possibly even this whole pandemic. Um, may be another catalyst for mm. people to see um, as Australians, for people to be really proud of the country that they come from. Uh, when, when you look at how well we've been able to deal with this crisis here, mm. compared to so many other countries that aren't in that same fortunate position. Mm. Um, so I, I yeah have a, a lot of optimism for what, um, for entrepreneurs in Australia over the next 10 to 20 years.
0: Mm. Excellent. And, and so, and then looking back, I guess on your own life and your own journey, what advice would you give? You know, your eighteen to twenty-year-old self, or an equivalent person. You know, maybe they've finished high school, they're not sure exactly what they want to do. They're in uni, they don't know what they want to do. They've, again, got a bit of a wanderlust, maybe curiosity. Um, having gone on a quite an interesting journey yourself, what advice would you give someone in that position today?
1: Based on my own experience, uh, I would say have a crack and, and don't give up. Um, but but don't don't feel like it has to be all done by a certain point in time um i mean it's it's personality dependent, but for my personality, it was a mm. great thing that uh, i mean all of those experiences that I had uh you know w- whether that be not even knowing what degree I'd signed myself up for <laughs> um you know chopping and changing a few things um overseas um being able to be inspired and motivated by some of my friends um, who were ready to do it at a much younger age um, mm-hmm. than I was. Um, but if, you know, just if, if you're not ready, you're not ready. And, mm. and if you need to, um, need to go and travel or you need to do a bit of partying or whatever you need to do mm. before you are ready, um, do that. Uh, and then when you're ready, have a crack and don't give up. Back yourself.
0: Mm. And I guess it's hard as well at the time to value those experiences, like in your working a minimum wage job, selling photos at a ski resort, and things like that. But I'm sure interactions with everyday people, seeing you know how different companies operate, seeing how different countries you know operate, learning about cultures, learning about all these little the behind the scenes parts of different businesses, you know, helped in your sort of future knowledge. Um, That you take for granted, and you would have missed if you had have been maybe in a corporate IT job in Australia your whole life, and then moved into logistics, or if you had to just come up in logistics from a a young age and and not had those broader experiences.
1: I I totally agree. Um, You you don't realize what those you don't realize that they're all building blocks uh, at the time. You don't realize that, Uh, and so anybody that wants to travel, for example, I I would highly encourage them to do it. You know, step outside your comfort zone. Um, be willing to push yourself, and, and that might—that doesn't have to be. I mean, there's some incredible people that were ready to start businesses at really young ages. Mm. That wasn't me, mm. um, but I take my hat off to those people. Mm. Um, there's no—you're not going to be a failure because you don't do it until you're 30 or mm. until you're 40. Um, mm. You do it when you're ready, uh, and sometimes you need other experiences to propel you to that moment where you're finally ready to, to, to take the leap of faith uh, that mm. we needed our customers and drivers to take.
2: <laughs> um,
1: and uh, so. But the, but the key along the way, I think, is pushing yourself outside your comfort mm. zone um, because um, that's what you're always. That's what most people need to do to start a business.
2: Mm-hmm. That's what you
1: need to do within the business to keep growing it. Mm. Um, you've, got to, you've got to keep putting yourself out there. And, uh, I mean, even, even doing this podcast, um, uh, you know, initially when I received your communication, Derek, um, um, I thought, uh, that's do that's I really want to do that? Um, and I thought, well, it's a new experience. Yeah. I haven't done it before. Um, step outside your comfort zone and do it (laughs) Mm. Uh, and yeah that would you know along with not giving up and having a crack that's what i would say to my 18 to 20 year old self keep pushing yourself outside your comfort zone
0: excellent and of course i'm glad you did agree to come on and hopefully it's your first of many future podcasts i think you've got a great story and a great business and you know a lot of really good insights to share um, and, and so, just a, a final question. So, what does the next five to ten-year vision, plan, strategy, dreams for sort of SGS logistics look like?
1: Uh, I, I think in the next five to ten years, we, we would probably like to have an ad hoc division to support our permanent fleet.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, uh, it would make sense. Uh, it would make sense for, for that to be the case. Um, I think. You know, if we're, if we're talking 10 years, or well, five years, within the next five years, we'd like to have an office in every state.
2: Mm-hmm. Currently,
1: we've only got staff in, um, uh, in, in Melbourne and, and Sydney. Oh, we've got a staff member in, in Manila, but, um, mm-hmm. but Melbourne and Sydney, our operational staff for Melbourne and Sydney.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but we would like to have, have staff have offices in, in each state. Um, you know, and then on to 10 years, we'd like to have a board at the moment. Dave and I are the only directors, but,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: I think we'll, we'd like to grow to a, a point where it makes sense to, to have a board and, and get some outside ideas mm-hmm. into the business. Um, uh, and then beyond ten years, uh, I, I think Dave and I would probably like to have somebody else running the business mm. um, to, to free us up um, to work on projects, look at um, different technologies that can be brought into the business, you know, uh, different uh, revenue streams, uh, different strategies that we can bring back to the business, bring back to the board, um, bring back to a future MD or CEO mm-hmm. um, as,
0: to,
1: as to how we can take the business to the next level.
0: Yeah, no, it sounds really good. And, and you mentioned technology briefly and having a, a technology sort of background, logistics, I think, often has a reputation of being a fairly low tech sort of industry. Are there technologies you have in mind of sort of um, building or investing in yourself? Or have you just picked kind of the best of breed existing technologies to, to sort of support your current business? Or what's your view on sort yeah, of technology? I mean, where? Where?
1: Look, there's a. Um, I think you're right, uh, and and I think Australia, logistically, is um, is pretty behind Europe, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, so, from a technological perspective, I think we've been slower in Australia to um, implement some of the technologies that we're seeing in in, um, in other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, another, there's, a, there's a couple of different lines of conversation when it comes to technology, because I think probably now what a lot of people might be thinking when it comes to technology are things like autonomous vehicles and the impact mm-hmm. that, that that's going to have um, on the industry. Uh, so you've got that side of things, but then you've got, you know, route optimization, mm-hmm. um, you know, the sort of reporting that helps you understand your productivity and where efficiencies can be found. Um, so, and, I, and I think it's now that Australia has, started to, to really make the most of those sorts of technologies that's become a much bigger part of the, the wider transport industry than, than what it possibly was. Um, but as far as how it relates to SGS, we're probably of a size where, because we've re- we'd really gone in on that driver quality piece, mm-hmm. um, the technology, there's there's minimum requirement technology that mm. we've got in place. Um, and, and beyond that, it's case by case with the customer. Mm. Uh, that's, that's short to medium term.
2: Mm. So
1: long term, we've got somebody else running the business. No, there isn't particular technologies that we've got in mind currently. Um, and that's one of the reasons why it's a medium to long term plan to have somebody else in place running the business so that Dave and I can actually investigate uh, that sort of thing to, to see what is, what is out there mm. um, and try and have that as one day being a, a point of difference. Um, but our, our point of difference probably with technology at the moment is, um, that we've we've got really good working technology that's simple to use um, because we just went out there and found what was the best and, and, mm. and put that in. Uh, but but uh, but longer term, we would love to be a business that's got technology in that nobody else has, has ever tried. Uh, and in order to do that, we need to have our time freed up um, mm. to be able to explore those sorts of opportunities.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. And do you have any, any final words, thoughts, comments you'd like to leave the audience with?
1: Uh, other than probably just a wrap for you, Derek, I think it's a, it's a fantastic thing that you're doing. Um, I hope you keep doing it and, um, and, and good on you for trying to bring businesses like ours uh, that may not get um, as much attention uh, until we're much, much bigger. Um, thanks for, for trying to bring businesses like ours, people having a crack to the attention mm. of others.
0: I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome, Luke. And thanks for coming on the podcast. No worries. Thanks, mate. Thank you for listening. I would really appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast in iTunes and leave a review. Better yet, tell a friend about it who you think may enjoy the content and get something useful out of it. Feedback, comments, likes or dislikes, you can reach me by emailing Derek, D-E-R-E-K, at futureofaustralia.com, or you can call or text me on 0404-689-897. Thank you.